Welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Part one of my permission program will start on May 17th. Part one focuses on giving you permission to grieve in a safe space with others who have shared the same loss. I'll be going live most every day this week to talk about the program and answer any questions you may have. Sign up will close on Friday, May 14th. Today, you'll hear Jolena's story. It is a longer podcast, but one that you won't want to miss. Like me, Jolena lost her mom when she was 13. She and her brother had an extremely close relationship with her mom, but they really didn't have time to mourn due to the circumstances that followed her death. In spite of all of the trauma, Jolena embodies true resilience and grace. You are sure to be blessed by this podcast. You can find information about all of the things Jolena mentions and the permission program in the show notes. As always, if you are enjoying the podcast, please remember to leave a rating and review. And now, grab a drink and a comfy seat, or put in your earbuds and head out for a nice long walk and enjoy Jolena's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. I'm here today with Jolena. Uh, Jolena and I met online. Uh, Jolena heard about me from the Made to Do This program that she is currently a student in, and I was in that uh, program in the fall. I finished in December, and it pretty much led me to this place of where I am, the Daughters Without Moms groups and the podcast. And so she heard about me from, from there and contacted me. And we've been fortunate enough to meet online. This is one of the things that I, I do appreciate about the online community is that the grief community has been the most supportive um, community that I've found online. So um, glad to meet you, Jolena, to see you for the first time. And I'm gonna pass it off to Jolena and let her introduce herself and tell us her story. Thank you so much, Beth. I'm very grateful to be here. And um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure exactly where to start. Um, I guess I'll start at the beginning. Um, so my mom and dad, they met and fell in love in Trinidad. And um, they are, were born and raised there. Um, and then they got married and they moved to the US to New York. And um, I'm not sure when the abuse started, but somewhere in there it became abusive. Um, and my mother had my brother and I, and um, I remember like always asking her like why she finally left. Mm -hmm. And there was one time in particular, I, I don't know if you know children and their attention spans and their memory, it's horrible. <laughs> But I remember this one time she was just like, I tell you all, you ask me all the time and I tell you all the time, why do I need to tell you again? And I think hearing that just kind of made me like, okay, I need to remember this. Um, and she told me that, I don't know if it was self-esteem or maybe he had just gotten to her, but she had kind of stopped caring. I got the impression and um, she had just dealt with the abuse for so long and she was just used to it and it was um I think she surrendered herself to dying um and she said that there was a day when she thought about us and she said what would happen if I died like what would happen to you 
And so um, she left, she left with nothing, I, basically a, a suitcase between the three of us. And um, a friend of the family took us in. Um, and it was very, I mean, I, I was a kid, so I didn't know very much. And, you know, when your mother tells you things, you don't really process it in the same way you would as an adult. But I remember um, we were still in New York and anytime we would get on the train or we would be passing through his neighborhood or, or on his train line, she was so scared. And it didn't seem that she was scared at the time. I thought she was just telling us, you know, regular instructions like she always did but it was always if we see your father don't tell him where we live if you see him don't don't do this don't say that and it was very clear instructions just just in case we ran into him um we did see him um relatively often not consistently but we did see him relatively often and he was involved um but she was very careful to make sure that other people were around um, or that they met in a neutral place because she was so scared of him. And um, I tried so hard to like carry that. I tried to like, oh, I don't love my daddy, you know, because of the pain that he caused her. But I was just always a sucker for him. Like he, I was just daddy's little girl. I would get on the phone and I'd be like, what? And then he would say one sentence and I'd be giggling. And, you know, I was just, I couldn't help it. He was just, um, he just pulled it out of me. Like I, he has this very uh, charismatic personality and he's a magnet for people in general, but especially women. He is just, he's so good at it. Um, and I am definitely <laughs> a victim of, of my dad's charm. Um, so it was, it was a really strange dynamic and juggling act for me as a child wanting to, um, support my mother and her pain, but also just loving my dad. Um, so anyway, fast forward, I think at the, the time that they separated, I was probably like around two or three, still very small. Um, and by the time I was eight, my mother had found new love and she remarried. Um, and then the following year when I was nine, she had my little sister. Um, and my brother and I, we weren't huge fans of my stepfather and it wasn't anything that he did wrong. It just, I think for me as a child, I felt like we have the perfect setup. Like we're all just chilling and we're having a good time. Like, why do you need to add this guy to it? Like, so he's messing things up. He's messing up our routine. Like, you know, we were shamelessly obsessed with our mom and, even at that age of, I was eight and my brother was 11 and we were still sleeping in the bed with her. Like we had our own beds and we were just like, we were terrible. We would fall asleep in our beds and wake up in hers. Um, and he kind of threw that off and that just, we didn't like that. <laughs> you know? We had um, no boundaries with our mom. We were just like very, very close. We did everything together. She had this awesome job where, you know, she could leave and, and pick us up from school and bring us back to her job with us. And, you know, so we were always around. We didn't have babysitters. There was no nanny. There was no after school programs. It was us and our mom. Um, so our stepfather really threw a wrench in that. <laughs> and, and um, in addition to that, we ended up moving to New Jersey, which was a totally new start for us um 
So I'm not exactly sure when it started because I found out after the fact that um, my mother was not telling me because you know she wanted to protect me, but she um, she was in a lot of pain. She was struggling. Her health was failing, and um, I remember one time in particular we were. We lived in Newark and we had to go school shopping, I think it was, or something like that. And um, we went to Jersey City, which was kind of like an adventure for us. And it was just the three of us. And um, we got out of the, the train station and I think we had only walked like a block before she started doubling over in pain and she couldn't walk anymore. And she was just like, oh, it was excruciating pain. And my brother and I were just like, what do we do? You know, I was um, maybe like 11 or 12 at the time. Um, and we just, we just stood there with her and she just, she couldn't even stand up straight. And she was just like crying out in pain. And um, we just had to wait until the pain passed. And she had been going through some pain before that. And I knew she had gone to some doctor's appointments. And at that moment, I was just kind of like, well, what, what's happening? Like, what are they saying to you? And she was just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm sure she knew. She just didn't want to tell us. Um, so uh, shortly after that, um, I remember my stepfather and my mother sitting me down and telling me that my mother had a tumor in her stomach. And I didn't really know what it meant. So I just said, okay, is that it? And I got up and I walked away. And I'm and I'm sure it was kind of one of those moments as a parent where you're just like, that's it? Okay. I expected the whole world to come crumbling down and I expected the crying and the tears and the fit. But um, I realized that now my way of processing is not really to process. Um, I just like, I, I just hear it and I just shove it away. Um, so it took me, I don't know, maybe a day or so before, um, I was preparing dinner with my stepfather and I asked him, I was like, so the tumor that she has, does it have cancer in it? And he said, yes. And I was like, so mommy has cancer. And he said, yes. And I was like, okay. And I just, <laughs> it just kept going and I'm sure it was one of those moments where it's just like oh I thought that was gonna be you know one of the the things and it wasn't because I really didn't know I didn't know I didn't know what to think I didn't know like I had seen cancer on tv and you know but it was not something I had ever dealt with so I didn't know what to expect was it one of those things where okay they have cancer and they get better or was it one of those things where she dies I didn't know um, so at that point, um, my mother started some treatments. I remember, I remember going to, um, an appointment. We went to a lot of appointments with her. Cause like I said, there was no nannies or babysitters or anything. So everything we did, we did together. Um, so she went to an appointment and I don't know if we were in the room or she explained it to us after, but she said that um, the kind of cancer that she had was very aggressive. And I think at the time, I don't know if this has changed at all, but there was only one recorded survivor. And it was 
a man in Japan and they had this specific protocol that worked for him. And so they were going to try that on her. And, um, and I was like, okay, cool. They know what they're doing. Great. <laughs> it didn't, you know, and of course at that point, the idea kind of like, what if she did die? But I didn't, I don't know. I just, I didn't, I couldn't go there. I didn't really want to go there. It was an idea, but it wasn't something that I really like focused on. Um, so they started chemo and radiation to shrink the tumor. Um, and then they operated and took out her stomach. Um, so that was devastating because um, they, they took out her stomach and they like tied her intestines in a knot. Um, and it was, it was terrible because she couldn't eat everything and she could only eat like, I think it was something ridiculous, like two ounces at a time or something like that. And then she had to take, you know, huge breaks in between and um, it, there, she couldn't have certain ingredients. Anything that she ate had to be like steamed or like no seasoning, like salt and pepper. And like, it was very, very um, gentle food, like almost like baby food that she had to eat, um, which was not how we ate. We're, we're West Indian and we like, we like spicy and a lot of flavor and a lot of color and a lot of, you know, things. And she just, she couldn't live like that anymore. Um, so she got her own meals, you know, there was, it was just a lot of adjusting and she was in and off the hospital. And I think, um, and I say that I think because uh, right after my, I mean, it's not a spoiler alert, but <laughs> right after my mom passed, um, I think it was just too traumatic for me to, to handle. And I just started forgetting everything. Like just, I forgot her face, like literally the day after she passed, I couldn't remember her face. And, um, I just, it was just so much. I just forgot and I just refused to remember. And even when I wanted to remember my brain just wouldn't let me. And, um, and so there's a lot that I don't remember. There's a lot that went on that, you know, even, even now, like not related to that at that time, I just couldn't like record memories. <laughs> I just, there, it was just too much. Um, so I think at, at that time, she knew that things were, were not going to end well and she was really depressed. Um, if I'm not mistaken, she did go into remission for a little while. Um, and I remember her getting, um, the cancer came back and she had a very, um, most of her family was still in Trinidad. And I think at that point is when um, some of her family members started taking trips up and spending time with us and trying to spend time with her and, and I guess say goodbye. Um, so her brother came and some cousins came and, um, so when she did pass, my aunt, we call her an aunt, but she's actually um, my mother's cousin. Um, she was with us when she passed. Um, and it was just, it was so strange because I, I knew I should be sad, but I couldn't really handle it. Like I, I remember the night that um, 
it was the middle of the night. We were already in bed and the hospital called my stepfather and they told him um, that she wasn't doing well. Um, and up until that point, she had just slowly been going downhill. Um, it was really hard to watch because she, I never thought of her as fat at all, um, but she thought she had too much weight and she was just, um, honestly, I would say average build. She just wasn't, she was used to being very slim and slender um, in her younger days. And as she got older, she, you know, she added those extra pounds. And I feel like even though it was something that really bothered her, it probably what extended her life a little bit because she lost so much weight and she just became a bag of skin and bones. And um, I remember one day in particular, it just breaks my heart just to think about it. But um, my sister at the time was probably two, two or three. Um, and my mother came home from the hospital she was just in and out the hospital, obviously. And she came home one day and she didn't look great, but I was just so happy she was home. Like, I was just so happy. And my sister was sleeping and I was like, I'm going to go wake her up. And they were like, no, please just let her sleep. And I was just like, no, she's, she's going to want to see you. Like she's, she's gonna, you know, and at that time, um, I, I really struggled with my stepfather, um, because, now I have a lot of like empathy and sympathy for him. But at the time, I just wanted another adult to just come in and take over. And he just was not equipped. Um, I think he was really struggling with depression. He started drinking a lot and he wasn't like a belligerent drunk or anything. He had just kind of checked out. So he wasn't really feeding us <laughs> and he wasn't grocery shopping and he wasn't, he wasn't taking care of us. Um, my mom, when she would be in the hospital, she would, and even when she was home, she would give me her, her debit card and I'd go either to the ATM or I'd go to the store and I'd get cash. And I, I kind of became the, um, the second mom in the house. I started cooking I, for the whole family. I started, um, I would get lunch money. And instead of spending my money on lunch, I would not eat, save it and use it for groceries. I would use it, um, so crazy to think about now. And um, anyway, he, he, I'm sure he was just really struggling to deal with the fact that he, he found this woman, he loved her. He started this new family. And right after that, she was dying. And um, he had this little baby, this little girl that he didn't know what to do with. Cause my mom was, she was amazing. She did everything. Um, so he really, he really struggled. And I can see that now at the time I was just angry, like be a man, step up, do the thing. Um, and my brother at the time, he was also very sick. Um, he had some like mystery infection that, um, no one, like we kept taking him to the doctor and like, they didn't know what it was. They didn't know how to treat it. So he was largely bedridden, like not in the hospital, but he was in the bed at that time. He like, he stopped going to school. He wasn't able to graduate high school. He like, it was just, um, it was really, it was a really bad time. So I was like the only competent and equipped person <laughs> in the household to do some of those things and to help with my sister. And, um, it was, it, 
I know it was a lot at the time, but it didn't really occur to me. It was just like, oh, I'm just gonna, no one's cooking dinner. Okay, I'm gonna go get some stuff for dinner and I'm gonna cook and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. And um, I think that also helped me kind of keep it together because I couldn't really let it all fall apart. Anyway, I say this to say that um, with my little sister, I had really spent most of my time with her and taking care of her. And when she would cry because she missed her mom, I would cry with her. And when she was dirty, I gave her a bath. And when she was hungry, I fed her. And so I felt like obligated to wake her up and to show her mommy's home. You know, I felt I needed to show her that it was okay. And that we, you know, like she's home. And I snuck upstairs and I woke her up anyway. And I brought her down and my sister threw a true fit, a true angry toddler. I'm half asleep and I don't understand fit. And she kept saying, that's not my mommy. That's not my mommy. Cause she couldn't recognize her. She had lost so much weight and she, it was just so hard. And I, I felt so bad because it was really traumatic, not just for me, but for my little sister and I'm sure my mom. And I don't think she had the strength either emotionally or physically to handle it. And I remember her just sitting there, just not knowing how to process. Um, and I, I remember just really feeling like I failed. <laughs> just like, wow, I didn't listen. And did she know? Did she know that this was going to happen? I mean, she knows everything. So of course she knew, you know, and um, it was hard on all of us. Um, and I, I don't want to bear the brunt of any of it. Um, but like I said, my brother was super sick. My stepfather had checked out. My little sister was a baby. Um, and then we would have family members coming in and out. So that was helpful too. But um, I just, I kind of felt like the last man standing, you know, she passed and um, the, I think it was the next day my dad came, he came to pick us up and take us home with him. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, because I knew that was the plan all along that we wouldn't stay with our stepfather um, because my father, I mean, he had always been involved. He just wasn't like a daily part of the picture. He just um, you know, it was kind of like, oh, I have a free weekend here, send them, send them, I'll come get them, or oh, here's some extra money to take them shopping, so he was always around, he just wasn't a part of my daily life, and, um, and my mother told us that we would go live with him, um, and I remember on my mother's deathbed, she was kind of saying her goodbyes, and I remember saying something to my brother, like, she, she took turns with us, with all of us. And I remember she even called my dad over to say goodbye to him. And I came out and I was like, she just said goodbye to me, to my brother. Like, what do you, why? And he was like, that's the third time she's told me goodbye. And I was just like, no, because she would never say goodbye to you and not say goodbye to me. Um, but I realized now she was really working so hard to protect me. Um, and that was her job, you know, that was what she did as a mom. She was just always trying to protect me. And I remember 
her always telling me, it's so weird, the things that we remember and the things that impact us. I remember her always telling me, if anyone touches you inappropriately, you tell me, you let me know. I don't care how scared you are. I don't care what they tell you, you tell me. And when she said goodbye to me, I kind of thought to myself, if something happens to me, who am I going to tell? And I knew instinctively, if anything happened, I would just keep it to myself because there was no one to tell anymore. And I was scared too, because I knew the history between my mom and my dad. And I was afraid like, okay, yeah, I've spent time with him, but I've never lived with him like for any extended period of time. You know, we've done weekends and stuff and he's my dad and I love him, but is he going to start hitting us? Is he going to become abusive to us? And if he does, who would I tell? You know, it was so scary. And um, I remember when she was saying goodbye to my dad, she told him to make sure that we stayed together, um, her kids stayed together. So even though uh, we would be separating and staying with our respective dads, she wanted to make sure that um, we stayed in contact. But, you know, typical men, um, they were just at odds and they were, they did not like each other and they refused to have anything to do with each other. So I lost contact with my sister. Um, and that was super hard because like I mentioned, I was like her second mom and we processed together and I would wake her up on Saturday mornings to watch Tarzan and I would comb her hair and we would play together. And she was my little, you know, she was my baby. And, um, so that was really hard. And I remember like saying, but you promised her, you promised her, you promised her on her deathbed. Like that is a sacred promise. And he said, when she turns 18, she'll find you. He said, don't worry, she'll find you. And he was so confident. And that was just his way of just shutting me up. Just let it be because I'm not dealing with him and you don't have the capacity to deal with him, your child. So um, yeah, so that was... I was 13 and um, I remember having that conversation with him in the car and that conversation was directly after, um, so we sat in the car with him and he said, um, I know your mom just died and I know it's hard for you, but um, I'm not built to be a parent. I'm not, I'm not a dad. So you guys are adults now and I'm going to put you in your own apartment and I'm going to pay for you to live, but you're adults now. So get it together. And I just kind of looked at my brother like, is he smoking? Like, what is he on? He is out of his damn mind. <laughs> like, I was 13. I was like, what is wrong with him? Um, and then I was just like, okay, whatever. What about my sister? And that's when he did the whole, she'll find you when she's 18. So this was just like, mom dies, say goodbye to your sister all within like 24 hours. Um, so my whole world just kind of crashed and burned underneath me. 
Um, and then I think shortly after, I mean, this was, um, it was so weird. I, I remember leaving with him. This is when like my memories get a little bit foggy because at some point my father told me, um, I, this was in the middle of the school year. She died in October. Um, so my father told me that he agreed that it would, um, it would be in my best interest to finish my school year in New Jersey. So I was just like, okay, well, you live in New York. Are we going to commute back and forth every day? He's like, absolutely not. You're going to stay with one of your friends. And so um, he made this arrangement with an associate. She wasn't even a friend of mine. And I don't know. He just saw, met her mom and I guess he liked her and they made this arrangement. So I was staying with this, a perfect stranger in this perfect stranger's home. And um, that was really hard because I had just lost my mom and lost my sister. My dad is telling me I'm an adult, but I'm only an adult on the weekends when he comes to pick me up. And then I'm like this like infantile child in her home because she was a very strict and like, you know, domineering mother. And um, she had these rules and dinner was at six o'clock sharp and you had to sit down at the table. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to eat later. Uh, <laughs> so it was, it was really, really like an adjustment. I went from no mom to aggressive mom. And I don't, it was just really, I don't know if I was sensitive at the time or, um, but the, the dynamic between me and my classmate was just off and wrong. Um, it just at times felt like bullying. Like I remember one time she poured soda over my head and she was like, oh, it was a mistake. And I'm like, oh, it wasn't a mistake. You don't like, you had it over my head and then you poured it. <laughs> like it wasn't, she's like, oh, I didn't mean to pour. And I'm like, why was it over my head then? You know? Um, so there was like a lot of weird things happening. And I don't think she, she was a child too, you know? And she, she was probably dealing with her own stuff. And so it was just a lot all at once, all at once. Um, so I made the decision to go to a boarding school. I applied. So that was my, my final year of, of, I guess, elementary school. I was in eighth grade. So my high school, um, that was the, the time to be applying. So I was like, I'm going away. That's it. I give up. <laughs> like, I'm not doing it. Um, so yeah, I just, I went to boarding school and, um, and then came home to my own apartment. Like my dad was not kidding. He, he had this multi-unit home in the Bronx. And um, so I had one floor. My brother had one floor, like we had our own apartments and my dad would just come and drop off money. And so I did my own grocery shopping and my own cooking and my own laundry. And this all literally started at 13. Um, it was, it's like crazy to think, <laughs> to think of now. Um, and it, it makes sense why I couldn't process and why I just started forgetting things and why I just, I just did. And I pushed all the feelings away and I pushed them all aside because, you know, originally it was literally just survival. It was just like, I can't fall apart. Like I got to cook dinner. <laughs> like I gotta, you know, I can't. Um, and I think it was maybe, 
I was 13 when my mom passed. And by the time I had hit 16, my brother had gotten cancer. So my brother was 19 with cancer. Um, and I remember my dad calling me and I was in my kitchen and he was like, you know, Glenn has been sick. And I was like, yeah. And he'd say, well, we just went to the doctor and they found out it's cancer. And I just broke down. I broke down. I was just like, not again. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And my dad was like, you got to suck it up. You got to pull it together. He cannot see you do that. You got, you've been through this before. You've got to be strong. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm strong. I got it. I'm together. So that was, <laughs> thank God he survived. And um, he, he had um, lymphoma. He had uh, very good doctors. Yeah, he, he made it. Uh, I think he suffered more than we'll ever know because um, he was still a kid. He was still a kid who couldn't even finish high school because he was sick before. And then it just manifested into cancer. And there, he's just, he's always had health issues. Um, so for him, he was always like the true baby of the family. Like, even though he was older than me, he was always our mother's baby. He was the firstborn. So they had that like special bond. But on top of that, like I said, he was just always sick. He was just always struggling with his health. So to have to go through that without his mother, who was always his caretaker, it was, it was really hard for him. And then, um, I don't think, I think it kind of stunted, I, I hate to say it, but I think all of it just kind of stunted his emotional development. He had just not been, um, equipped with the stuff. He'd just always been sick. He'd always have someone taking care of him. He'd always just not had the tools to deal with things, you know? Um, so we all struggled and it was an adjustment for all of us. And we all had like all these things. My dad went from being a bachelor to having like kids that he was responsible for. And, um, you know, he, decided that he didn't really want to be responsible but um I mean he still financially took care of us but um in a way I feel like my mother was so amazing because she gave us the tools even in childhood to be able to manage regardless you know like I didn't there was no learning curve for me I already knew how to manage money you know, I already had savings. I already knew how to do my laundry. I knew how to keep a house. I knew how to cook. I knew all of those things already. Um, I, I knew how to keep myself alive, you know, in all those ways. And then boarding school just kind of helped with that a little bit um, because it gave me a safe, a safe place where I was away from the drama and I was away from, you know, I wasn't in my own apartment in New York City. <laughs> I was in the country of Pennsylvania and, you know, I was around people my age and, you know, it was, it was my haven for a long time. Um, so yeah, it was, oh my gosh, now I'm 31. I, it's been 18 years since my mom passed. 
And I'm at that point now where she's been with, I've been without her longer than I've been with her. And I have never really been able to just sit and grieve. It just comes in waves. You know, I've had, my life has been so nonstop, you know, since she passed, there's always been big things and crazy things. And, um, it, it's funny because I was so wrapped up in just not having her. I remember thinking like, who's going to be my mom now? Like, who do I go to? And I was like, I know I can't say that, but like, I need like a caretaker, you know, like I'm, I'm still a kid, you know, and I never really had one after, <laughs> after that. Um, but now that I'm an adult and some of it is, a little less raw. Um, I'm able to see her in places and in things. Um, I think it was just too much for me at that time. And so I just had to block, block it out. And um, I, oh my gosh, it's probably like three years okay, nine, maybe two, two or three years ago, shortly after my sister hit 18, she found me just as my father said that she would. Um, what's even crazier is that she lives 20 minutes away from my dad. She lived 20 minutes away from him for God knows how many years. Um, she lived in the, the, like a couple towns over like a few miles from his girlfriend. Um, and I didn't know at the time we were house shopping and I ended up buying a home in the same town that she lives in. Um, and yeah, we've been reconnecting and it's been, it's been a process and it's really difficult because she's had her own very traumatic journey. And um, it's, it's really hard for me to be there, <laughs> you know, like I can't, um, she's also autistic, um, which we didn't know at the time. Um, and I don't know if it's, if it's, I don't know. It's just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to process. Um, so I've been doing my best and beating myself up for not doing more, but still just trying to get through. Um, but I'm just, I, that in itself felt like a whisper for my mom. Like I told you that you guys were going to stay together and I'm going to bring you back together. And it's going to be easier than you ever thought because you guys are going to be right down the street from each other. And it's all, all these little things. I, I'm so obsessed with crystals. I love crystals. I have crystals everywhere. Um, and it's a, a relatively, I want to say like within the past five years, I became like really, I didn't even know what crystals were more than five years ago. Um, and I just, when I discovered them, I just fell in love with them. And I had this, have this collection. And I remember, um, I don't know why it's not a secret. I just don't talk about it often for some reason. It's just like my thing. It's one of my like things. And one of my best friends, um, I don't know how it came up or how, um, and she was like, how 
dare you? How dare you not tell me that you love crystals? Like how, how come this was not a conversation? You know that I love crystals. And I was like, well, it just never, it never like came up in conversation. If you talk about crystals, listen to you talk about crystals. I don't take it as an opportunity for me to talk about my crystals. Um, and it was just like a really funny conversation that we had. Um, and I just felt like I could feel my mom whisper in my ear and she said, I loved crystals too. And in that moment, I just had this like flash, this memory just flooded. And I remember her, she collected these crystal figurines. She, it was amazing. She had this, this, I think it was her favorite, but it was like this bald eagle and it was just, oh my God, it was gorgeous. And she had dolphins and she had all these little, like she was not someone who invested in herself. She wasn't someone who bought clothes for herself, but if she saw a crystal figurine, she bought it, you know? And I remember we had this whole like little, um, I don't like display case of her crystals. And that was the first time I had remembered that in all of those years. And this was probably like, I don't know, a year or two ago. So after 16 years, I finally remembered that my mom loved crystals too, you know? Um, so there are all these little things that it just brings me back to her now. And I don't think I could handle it before, um, but I can handle it now. Like every now and again, I'll, um, I remember she used to make this um, dish, traditional like Trinidadian dish called Pelau. And I didn't know how to make it. And my dad is a vegetarian, so he, it has meat in it. So he wouldn't have been the person to ask. And I remember like finding a recipe online and, um, and I was like, okay. And I could just feel her with me as I was making it. And she was just like, I know it doesn't say it, but you should add this, you know, and little things like that. And it's not, it sounds so woo woo and, you know, it's not so much like I can hear it audibly. It's it's just like an inner knowing. Like it, it, I can just feel her presence and I just know that she's there and that she's talking to me and she's doing something with me. Um, and now I'm a mom and I have two small girls and uh, there are so many times when I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I just don't know. I'm... I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to figure this out. Like, for example, I, I have, I've always had eczema. My brother has always had eczema. And um, when my first daughter was born, I saw that she had eczema and I just felt like a failure. I was just like, oh my God, I'm passing on my bad genes and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to manage it. I don't know. I don't want to do these steroids. I've been doing steroids for myself for so long and so bad for you. And there's so many things. And, you know, you don't think about so much when it comes to yourself. But then when you have to do it for your kid, it's like, no, this is not good. So that I started this whole like skincare journey and started making my own products. And, um, and it was a moment when I, I, decided to start making them and I was literally like mixing something in the kitchen and I got this flash of her doing the same thing she used to make her own little concoctions and lotions for us when we were little and I forgot I had just forgotten it 
And I just, I knew she was with me and she was guiding me and she was helping me. And uh, I was just like, how can I forget that? How can I forget any of this? So it's just these little blessings that I get from her. Um, there's another thing so that I really want to share. Um, so after my second daughter was born, my dad, um, my dad came to see her and, oh, it just took her face, took the wind right out of him. And I could see him. He's not spiritual or woo-woo or any of those things. He is an old school West Indian man. He believes in concrete things that he can see. And this man started screaming in the street, that's your mother. <laughs> that's your mother. That's your mother. And he couldn't even hold her right away. He was just so thrown off. He was so thrown off and it hit him so hard. And he was just it was one of those moments when you say something and you like you almost regret saying it, but you meant what you said. <laughs> so, so he um he really struggled with, and I could tell like he he gravitates more to my older daughter because he's a little bit scared of the little one, you know, like, like there's, there's something there's something about her that just like it just it throws him off. And I really thought that he had lost it for a second. <laughs> Um, and then I got this very strange call, which is just so like me in my life. And I said, hello. And she was like, is this Jolena? And I said, yes. And she's like, I'm your cousin. And I was like, hi. <laughs> like, what? Um, and it was a very short conversation. And she was like, oh, where do you live? Do you live in New York? Do you live in Brooklyn? I was like, no, I live in Pennsylvania now. I used to live in New York. And she was like, oh, okay, what part of Pennsylvania? My best friend just moved out to Pennsylvania. And I said, well, I live in Toby Hanna. And she goes, oh, my girlfriend lives in Toby Hanna. Her girlfriend lives right up the street from me. She knows my street. She walks past it every day on her walks. So I think it was the fall, that same weekend or the following weekend, she just she was on her way to her girlfriend's house and they just stopped by to see me. And um, I opened the door and come downstairs and right in front of my door are stairs. I live in a bi-level. So as soon as you open the door, it splits upstairs and downstairs. So open the door to come inside with them. And my two girls are standing at the top of the stairs. And I could see her just kind of like brace herself on the doorway. And she was like, oh my God, that's your mother. Oh my <laughs> And she just kept looking at her and she said, she has your mother's whole face. She has her face. And I'm like, seeing like what do you I don't know what you're seeing she's like I don't I don't get it and um anyway so it's just these little things her my father tells me all the time he's like I don't she just got your mother's face and I don't know if you know it's genetics I don't know if her spirit came back I don't know I don't know any of the things and and I feel terrible in saying I I never got a chance to know my mother as a woman I only got to know her as a mom um, so I couldn't even identify if it really was her, you know, like I couldn't, I, I don't have the foggiest idea. And sometimes I look at her and I'm like, I don't see it. What are they seeing? <laughs> um, so I, 
I don't, I think it's just kind of like a funny little anecdote for me. I don't really take that to heart necessarily, but um, I'm just so grateful for these little moments, these, these little blessings where she comes and, and I'm like aware that she's with me. I have this feeling she's always with me, but you know, to be aware of it is such a gift. Um, and I even have some friends who are much more spiritually inclined than I am. And they tell me, they're like, you know, I think your mom came to me last night. <laughs> and I'm like, why didn't she come to me? <laughs> I don't get it. Um, and then I have these moments where it's like, oh yeah, she did come to me and I wasn't listening. And then she came to you and um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I get it. I'm listening now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's such a, I, I find much more joy in my memories of her now than I did before. I think it was just so much pain, so much sadness and regret and, you know, there was just so much and I, I couldn't, I just couldn't. And now I can, and it's still hard, but, you know, it's one of those things where you can look back at those painful memories and you can say, okay, I did my part. I did what I could. Oh, well, that was a terrible experience, but look at this beautiful memory, you know, all the little things that kind of happened, people that I met that I probably wouldn't have met, the the family that I have now, all these little things, I, I know that they wouldn't be a part of my life because I would have had a completely different path, you know? Um, so I can kind of appreciate the, the growth and the transition of life and, and know that you know, um, she's still with me and I'm still, I'm still able to receive and to learn from her. And, um, I'm just so grateful and I'm still processing and things are still hurt and they're still raw sometimes. Um, but they're a lot less raw than they were. So. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. I think I took six pages of notes. <laughs> Oh, from your talking. Okay, so let me just, if people don't know this because we weren't recording yet, but we pray, I prayed for us before we started. And in the midst of the prayer, I said something about that your mom has found ways to still let you know that she's here. And I'm about to like, the hair is standing up on my arms because as I was saying it, I said in my head, oh my gosh, but maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't. And you just said that. And I'm yeah. like, oh, so here she was. Yeah. Here honestly, she was. I, when you said that, I got goosebumps because my mom, she was so religious. She was so like, she was a Bible thumping Christian. You know, she was, she said prayers that she was she, like, we grew up in the church. And um, so when you, prayed I was just like oh here she is here she is and then you said that and I was like okay I feel you I know you're here thank you and I oh wow yeah wow <laughs> wow because I'm not a bible thumping Christian but I do like I do I, I do ask for you know a spirit to be with us for these conversations because it is sacred ground yeah oh wow what was, what was your mom's first name Joan. Joan. Nice to meet you, Joan. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
Wow. You know what's really strange? So when my first daughter was born, um, we, I'm very corny. I, this is very not necessary for me to say, but um, there's this song called Half on a Baby, right? And I thought it was, it was the most outlandish but romantic, like strange way to explain how much you love someone, right? You go half on a baby. Okay. So <laughs> my fiance and I, we went half on the name. So we combined our names <laughs> for my older daughter. And her middle name is his grandmother's first name. Um, and it just seems, it just worked and it seemed nice and I loved it and it just, you know, and then when my second daughter was born, we also combined our names. Um, but for her middle name, I was like, well, what are we going to do for her middle name? And he was like, name her after your mom. Like, why? I don't know. And it almost didn't occur to me with my first daughter. But with my second one, who everyone says, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's her middle name. Her middle name is my mom's first name. So she just carries her spirit with her. Like, like that's just, it's in there. So, you know, yeah. wow 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 yeah well what a blessing for you that that is after all of the that trauma that you have experienced that she is finding ways to to you know share the journey with you when you're cooking when you're creating um you know wow wow okay I have just a few things that I wanted to ask you um about so have you so I think when, when you go through trauma as a child, one of the things that you do is your memories are affected. They said, I've read it, you know, in research that I've done that part of your defense mechanism to keep yourself healthy and safe is that you block things out. But as you're saying, like you're, you're having these connections happen 16, 18 years later, because a memory is being sparked that's then allowing you to open up that pathway that's been blocked in there. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you ever considered, I know that there's like therapy that you can do to help unblock some memories. Have you ever thought about that? I didn't even know that was a thing. So I can definitely look into it now. I, yeah, I'm, I would love to, because there's so much missing, you know, and it, it, I don't want to say it's not necessary, but it's always so helpful uh, to just know where you came from, you know, and there are so many little things that I just, I wonder, you know, and my dad doesn't, um, he doesn't really like to talk about my mom. Um, I think he always loved her and it's still really hard for him to, like, he he still gets angry, like even all these years later, Mm -hmm. I'm 31. And like I said, she, she probably left when I was like two. So after 29 years, he's still angry. He's wow. still angry. Um, so she sounds really- like the only woman who might've been able to have some power over him because first of all, he married her. And if he is a charismatic, magnetic, you know, bachelor, likes to be bachelor guy. Yeah. And, and then she didn't, she didn't tolerate his, you know, his disrespect towards her. There's not many women like that, you know what I mean? To especially with two small kids, you know, a lot of people just stick it out because it's for the kids. He probably has never had someone um, 
stand up to him like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, for him, he's he's also just so angry that she died. Um, and I don't know how, and this is some of the stuff that like, it's just, it's kind of hard for me to like, even, I don't even know if it matters or if it makes any difference, but he told me that my mom had lupus and he said that she had like one of the reasons why he's so angry is that he said she had no business getting pregnant again because he said that her body couldn't handle it so he was just angry that she even like put herself in that position um and I don't know if it's true and I don't I don't know if it if it matters I don't know if it makes a difference or not but I'm I sometimes I think about that like did she have lupus? Did she have something that, you know, did she know that it was going to negatively affect her health? Did she think that it might not, you know, like all of these, and, and my dad, he's very smart and well-read and um, educated. So, so he has this tendency to like, um, um, diagnose <laughs> on site. And so I asked him one day, I was like, when you say she had lupus, like, did she go to the doctor and they told her? And he said, yes, yes, they told her she had lupus, but I had never, I'd not ever heard that. So I, you know, there's something that's very like strange about that. And I just, like I said, I don't know if it matters, but it's something I'm curious about. Like, mm -hmm. um, Can you ask the woman that you said was with you and your mom's cousin, but you know, you guys called her your aunt, would she maybe know yeah. that? She might, yeah. she might. Um, just, you know, yeah, it's double just checking. So yeah, it, uh, there's some like, because that was another thing is when um, when we were separated, we lost contact with my mom's side of the family because she, you know, she was the one who was keeping us in touch. Um, and my father didn't really have contact with them. So within the past few years, especially once I started having kids, it's like, Everyone came through the woodwork. So it's like the people found me on Facebook and, you know, randomly my phone number would like my people would start calling my phone. And um, it was just so strange. My my mother's sisters, they would call me. I remember talking to my um, my uncle, my mother's brother, and it was actually two of them. She was one of eight. And um, I got on the phone with him and he started crying immediately. And he was like, oh my God, you sound so much like her. Oh my God, you have the same voice. And then I think I laughed and he was like, oh my God, you have the same laugh. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was something else. I think I sneezed or something. It's like, oh my God. And I'm like, all right, I, I, get, it. <laughs> I, I get it. But it was, it was hard for him to just hear me, just to hear my voice was just difficult. Um, and my... Uh, some of my family members will look at me and they're like, oh my God, you look just like her. And it, it's almost like it's a blow to them, you know? So mm -hmm. it, it's hard for them to see me sometimes. And it's hard, like they want to, my mother's family is very close knit. They are very like at each other's houses and calling each other every day kind of family. Um, so we were always like this lost element to them, like, you know, and especially my little sister is just like every time I speak to them, did you find her? Did, do you know where she is? Do you know, you know, like it, it was always a conversation. Like we were, we were separated. We're like, not only are we on a whole nother continent, you know, but we physically are separated. My, my brother, my sister, like, so for them, it's just so hard 
to not be able to see us and speak to us and, you know, have these family gatherings. And, but I, I also really believe that, um, physical conditions are like manifestations of emotional things. Um, and I know that my mother had a really hard childhood. Um, and then I, I think she thought she was escaping with my father and starting anew and then to have that go to hell. <laughs> and then um, to try to start over and to have that go south. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that the love necessarily went south. I don't, I don't really know, but um, I think just the way that my stepfather handled it, she, she struggled with that because she had to rely on me to pick up the slack, which was, um, I think that broke her heart and she really wanted to find that love, you know, that she could depend on because I don't think, I think that's one thing that I, I feel from her is that she never had that love, you know, and she really deserved it. Mm -hmm. um, so she never, she never got that opportunity. And um, I'm, I'm sure if she would have survived, she probably would have left him um, because it, he wasn't like, it's so small, but I remember um, she was in the hospital one time and um, she told him, I think she had to use the bathroom and she went, she, you know, she just wanted him to help her instead of like a nurse or something. And he said he was coming and he never came. And so she called me and she was like, he's supposed to be here. It's been like half an hour, you know, can you come? And I, and I just ran over, you know, and it was just like, that's what you don't want to do. You know, you don't want to have to rely on your 12, 13 year old to, to help you in your time of need. Like he would leave the house and she was like bedridden when she was home. Like she had no energy, no strength, no anything. She could barely process any food. And he would just like leave the house and not leave her with a tea or water next to her bed, you know? Mm -hmm. So it would be one of those things where I'm like, I'm home from school. She hasn't eaten for hours. And I'm like, okay, I'll make something for you real quick. But then I was also going through that like angsty teen thing where I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, like, why do I have to? I have to do so much. And you want this and Glenn is in bed and where is he? And like, you know, and it was just like, a, I was just angry and nasty. And, you know, I did my best, but I was just nasty, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, hormones and trauma. And <laughs> For bad, sure. Bad combination. So, um. She didn't get that love. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, and how old was your mom when she passed? She was 39. Okay. So I know that you, you know, you, you've, you've talked about that it comes in waves and ebbs and flows. And, and I'm sure that you experienced your, your grief and loss of mom, you know, having the mom size hole in your heart when you became a mom. I know oh, for me yeah. that really hit, um, it'll probably hit you also as you're approaching the age that your mom was. My mom was 38, your mom was 39. Um, you know, so they're just a, and, and you know, I don't wanna be a Debbie Downer, but I think you already know that realistically, you know, seasons of your life are gonna continue to happen and it's continue to bring that up. I was just talking on a podcast called Next Chapter Empty Nest. I have one kid left at home and he is gonna be leaving, you know, soon. 
And that's another time, like, you know, when your role changes as the mom yourself, there's just all these things that can continue to bring it up. Yeah. Um, but for you, I hope that your journey continues to bring these, these, these positive connections that you're making with your mom, Joan, like that is just, you, you, you know, as, as much um, of that you shared of, of how much that you've been through at your very young age of 31, you are, you've experienced more, you experienced more in your first 16 years of life than some people do in a lifetime. Um, the fact that you are able to make these positive connections and acknowledge and feel her presence with you is just, um, what a gift, what a gift that that is. And, and, you know, just like you were just saying that your mom deserves that love. You deserve these gifts. You deserve these gifts to feel her with you, um, still guiding you and telling you to, you know, add the paprika or whatever she's telling you to do. (laughs) Uh, So I do normally ask people if they have like a, a last piece of advice or a tidbit that you would like to share with the the people who listen to the podcast? Yeah. Um, so grief is just a wicked little beast and it can come in all these different forms. And I know that it's such a cliche to say like all wounds heal with time and stuff. But um, I really believe that you have so much more power to create healing than we're told. And if you can even temporarily um, make it a habit of trying to shift the narrative a little bit, you can really like propel that healing forward. It's so, I don't wanna say easy, but it's, it's natural to want to sit in the grief and even to avoid the grief. Um, But I think if you can just refocus a little bit and um, find some of the the joy again, just a little bit, you know, revisit some of those things that like my mother, she was so creative, you know, and I've always looked at myself as like very type A, very like even as a kid, um, I didn't like coloring things like it had to be realistic. Like I'm not going to draw a purple elephant, like give me some gray, give me some brown. I like it would burn my biscuits like I could not do it. You know, I really wanted to make sure that things were as they were supposed to be, you know, um, so giving myself the opportunity to get creative. um, I found a lot of joy in that. And it was a way for me to work through some things and to, you know, work my energy and and to um, just dive deeper into myself and discover and to heal and all these little things just from trying to find a little bit of joy. And even that helped me to process. It helped me to, you know, move that forward. So um, I know sometimes there's a little bit of shame around like being happy after the fact. It's like, oh my God, I shouldn't shouldn't be laughing. It's only a day after she died. I shouldn't be. And it's like, no, no, you really want to do that because you can create more damage for yourself, for the ones around you, for for your environment, for everything by sitting in it and and dwelling in it 
instead of trying to like crawl your way out with something that can bring you a little bit of joy so that you're not creating that black hole for someone else or even staying in that black hole for yourself you know um mm -hmm. i don't know if that makes any sense but um it makes total sense to me yeah, yeah. you're speaking my language Okay. Um, because my thing is, is that you can't, you have to acknowledge and name and feel the grief to be able to move through it. I don't think it ever goes away. Like we just talked right. about, you know, it's forever a part of your journey, but stuffing it down or shoving it away and all those sort of things. Um, it's really hard work to acknowledge it and name your feelings. And I mean, the, the things that you've talked about today, it's really hard work, but I, in my podcast yesterday, I said, you know, but isn't it, it's, it's hard living under that constant cloud and the shadow of shame and all of those things. That's hard too. Yeah. It's hard too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's harder. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder. You yeah. know, it's so much, it, I think it's more of a, a mindset or an emotional block that makes us think that we don't deserve to be happy in that moment or, or whatever. Um, but just like pushing past that and saying, no, if, if I'm going through grief, if I've lost someone that I love, that they still want me to be happy, you know, they, they would still want me to have joy. They wouldn't want me to fall apart. And the best way that I cannot fall apart is to find something that brings me happiness. And then I can still be grateful for the time that I had with them, even though I don't have that time with them anymore. You know, I can still hold on to that beauty that was there and appreciate that. And I can do that better when I'm happy than when I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have kind of turned this into a little bit of life work, this the healing process and the creativeness that you're talking about. Tell people what you're doing and, and where they can find you. Yeah, so um, it's, it's been a journey, but like I mentioned before, I started um, creating my own skincare products for my family, and then I decided to turn that into a business. Um, so I sell skincare products, um, but now it's kind of um, developed into a safe haven for families managing eczema. Um, so I, I support families who, um, who are managing eczema through my skincare line, through educational workshops, and through my uh, membership. Um, so yeah, that's a part of, part of all the things. Yeah. And so tell people your, like your handle and where they can find you. And I will put this all in the show notes so that people will have access to it. So my, um, my handle on Instagram is love energy nature. Um, my website is www.loveenergynature.com. Um, and I have a, a business page on Facebook. That's also called love energy nature. Perfect. Wonderful. I have a family, actually, my, my best friend, her daughter has four kids and two of them have eczema. So I'm going to share your information with her. Yes, please do. Oh, yeah. So all this will be in the show notes. If you're, if you're, you know, listening to this somewhere where you can't take notes, you can just come back and look at the show notes and I'll put links to all of Jolena's information in there. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so thankful that we connected. Um, and as I always say, it's a privilege to hear these stories. Um, and 
I appreciate that Joan blessed our time together this morning as well. I appreciate it too. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Like, like I mentioned before, there's not enough space in the world for us to just come and tell our stories. So I'm so grateful for you um, providing this space and um, you are amazing. Oh, thank you, Jelena. Thanks again for being here. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in being interviewed for a podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.